That's not fair to them. What was the purpose of getting rid of them? That was a self-expression. You know? That was something that they enjoyed to do. So that's what they wanted to do on YouTube. And that's not violating anything. But they took them all off. All those eating shows. You know? Eat yourself to death shows. Oh, Gosh, I don't know. I used to watch them out of fascination, but not anymore. Okay, so that was John Lear. Now I have a David Wilcock here that I think that you'll enjoy. And if somebody um, knows anything about what happened to all those eating shows, I would sure like to know. I mean, that's just not right. They didn't do any harm to anybody. They never... I I read all of the contracts on YouTube three, four times because there was one time that they took me off um, that was way, way out of league, you know. And, um, I mean, I'm not an angel, that's for sure, but... And then I've seen them take other people off. I just can't believe it. And what's his name? Richard Wilk? No, Richard. Richard. Oh, shoot. I can't remember his name. But um, he just recently got on, posted something, and then they took him back off. I couldn't believe it. He, and he's a big wig. That's wrong. Okay, so let's listen to David Wilcock. I hope you guys like this. I'm David Wilcock, and this is Wisdom Teachings. Dr. Orban Wagner discovered a stunning little hiccup in universal law in which anti-gravity seems to be the key factor in causing sap to rise in plants and trees, along with a weird geometric energy pattern that seems to be responsible for creating that anti-gravity. What happens when we now transition over into an examination of the insect kingdom? And as well, we're going to be looking at plants. Could there be secret energetic fields, secret from as far as our mainstream understandings are concerned, that govern the way that insects find their hives, such as bees, that govern how bees locate flowers. It may not just be color, there may also be an energetic field effect. This could also affect healing in terms of that the bees are creating something that actually heals them as they live in the honeycomb. Some very, very interesting stuff regarding this idea of a cavity structural effect that the simple shape could be responsible for all sorts of interesting energetic effects. Those are only some of the intriguing topics we'll be covering in this week's episode. So now we're gonna pivot from a discussion of plants into a discussion of the amazing research of Dr. Viktor Grebenikov. Now, unfortunately, Dr. Viktor Grebenikov died in April of 2001. So we were never able to fully get through to him the way we wanted to. 
Mm. He wrote a book about his amazing research. Mm. It had started out as 500 pages, and the Soviet government of the time demanded that 300 of the pages of the book be removed. However, the 200 pages that were left still had some very intriguing elements to them. And he had already been published in mainstream Russian scientific papers for scientific discoveries that to our Western mindset seemed to be very, very out of the box, very unusual, and very, very interesting. Again, we are coming up against a wall of disbelief and skepticism as we go into this subject simply because people are not apt to think this is true. We all want to believe that we know the truth, that we've learned everything there is to know, that we've solved the mysteries of science, we've tackled how to build smartphones and how to have wireless video communication across the planet instantaneously. But yet at the same time, nature could still be holding on to very important mysteries that have remained elusive. So this is your go-to guy as we go to the next level of understanding how we may in time be able to levitate. You're not going to see the levitation aspect in this episode, but what we're going to be doing here is laying the foundation that helps to establish how he ended up coming up with these amazing discoveries. Now, there are people online who are tackling his work on levitation as it relates to certain types of insect wings, and we'll get into that. There's some really amazing video that you're going to see demonstrating levitation involving these insect wings. But a lot of people have tried to debunk this. There was a guy who used stage magic techniques to create a fake version of what appeared to be these wings levitating, and then therefore tried to conclude that all of it was fake. But clearly, in order to establish the credibility of this scientist, we want to begin with his accredited public work before we get into the more controversial stuff. So here we go. One of the main terms you hear for this thing that he discovered is called shape power, and he does see it in insects and flowers. So again, we're right back to the plant kingdom, but we're now taking it to the insects as well. There's two major websites that seem to be pretty closely affiliated, keelynet.com and rexresearch.com. And I first became aware of all this in 2001. It absolutely blew me away. So his name is Dr. Viktor Stepanovich Rabenikov. And here's a picture of him in his lab. And he is a renowned Russian entomologist. Now, an entomologist is an insect I scientist. I've heard this before. It means somebody who's dedicated their whole life to studying and understanding insects, just like Dr. Orvin Wagner dedicated his life to studying primarily plants. on dead people to and find out when they die when you start to get into the insect kingdom there's some things that happen if you're as dedicated as he is and remember this is a guy who's really really into it he's out there in the field he is sleeping in meadows all through the night on on the ground just to be around the insects just to study them in their natural habitat and it took that level of commitment to actually they have figure out what's really going on. Farms. Because as he fell asleep above these beehives, there's bees that will actually burrow into dirt. This is a very important element. They actually take the dirt and they macerate it with their jaws and they spit it out with some saliva in it. And they make these beehives inside a hill, in this case. They burrow into the dirt. With and it's all made from natural dirt material. They make Something it into about like that caused some really amazing things to happen. 
So he ended up discovering what he calls the cavity structural effect. And cavity, That's of course, is an empty space. Thing. The idea being here that certain types of structures, certain types of regular repeating structures like beehives, in certain types of beehives, will actually create an energetic effect. And as you're going to see, this cannot be reconciled with regular electromagnetic fields. It is much, much deeper and much, much more interesting than anything conventional science has to offer. Certain shapes will harness these torsion fields with all of the expected effects that we have seen in other Russian studies. So if you've done your homework, if you've watched the other episodes of this show, hopefully not all in one big binge, but you've taken the time to really meditate on these concepts and think about them, then when we've talked about Kozarev, when we've talked about Dr. Wilhelm Reich, all of these various scientists, they keep independently rediscovering the same things. And so with Grebenikov, here he is independently reporting on research that gives us the exact same conclusions again. And it's amazing how much everything lines up, and it does suggest that everybody is independently rediscovering the same energy fields, just like Wagner with his so-called W waves. Grubenikov's got the same thing, but he did it with insects instead of plants. It's really cool. He first recognized this cavity structural effect by studying honeybees, and we're going to get way into that in this episode. Before we get to his key discovery, this is a quote from later in his paper that you can find on Rex Research or KeeleyNet that shows where he was beginning to understand something really strange is going on with honeybees. And this has to do with their homing instincts. The conventional idea of a homing instinct would be that there is some sort of chemical pheromone given off by the queen and that the bees are very good at smelling that hormone and therefore that's what guides them back to the hive. So if you move the beehive, they'll go to the new location because they're smelling their queen. But what Grebenikov discovered that's in really the 1960s started this scientific journey of awakening for him because something was going on that absolutely could not be explained by the traditional pheromone model. Let's take a look. And when in the 1960s we had bumblebees living in our Isilkul apartment, I often observed the following. A young bumblebee on its first trip away from the hive did not take the trouble to remember where the entrance was, and he would spend hours wandering around the windows of our house and of a similar looking house nearby. Mm. And in the evening, giving up on his poor visual memory, the bee would land on the brick wall precisely outside the hive and would try to break right through the brick wall. Mm. Now, wait a minute. The brick wall is obviously not going to convey the smell. Mm. You can't smell through a brick wall, right? They can. Yet somehow the bee finds the hive through the bricks, the brick does not provide any resistance to whatever this wave signal would be. And this is a huge, huge discovery, actually. He didn't understand how significant it was at the time. But these waves, just like gravity, will travel through physical matter. You can't explain this with a pheromone. And look at what happens next. How did the insect know that right there, four meters away from the entrance and a meter and a half below, behind this thick half a meter wide wall was where his home nest was so he's literally trying to ram himself through pretty smart. a brick wall that's <laughs> almost two feet thick yeah. unbelievable yeah. you can't explain this with electromagnetics because you, you know 
brick would attenuate an electromagnetic signal. That's why if you're inside the brick building, it can be very difficult to get a cell signal unless you go near the windows, especially if it's a really thick uh, brick area. So this is the same problem with why you have a really hard time in an elevator or in an underground concrete parking garage trying to get any type of cell reception. It's nearly impossible in many cases. So what's going on here is the, the bee is just boom, boom. He's just ramming himself, trying to ram through the wall. And so Rabenikov said he must be sensing some kind of energy from the hive. At the time in the 1960s, I was lost in conjectures, theories, but now I know exactly why the bumblebee behaved like that. An amazing find, wouldn't you agree? Now let us remember the experiment in which Hunter Wops returned not just to a given location, but to an entirely different place where the lump of soil with their nest had then been moved to. And again, usually that's explained by smell. No doubt the wasps were able to find it because of a wave beacon created by the shape of their nest. So, later on in his life, after he's had many, many years to think about these bees trying to ram through the wall and how weird that is, he has a very interesting experience where he is studying a huge beehive that is built into, as I said, the side of a cliff. And he has drawn it right here so you can see exactly where he was. Notice that there is a dirt slope going up to the right where the light is hitting. And notice you can see a lot of black dots on there. Those black dots are entry holes where these bees are flying in and they are building elaborate nests inside. And there were many, 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 many of them that had gone inside this hill. A, a truly massive, teeming swarm of bees that go in deeply. I mean, we're not just talking about a few inches past that hole. We're talking about deep tunnels that go on for probably many dozens of feet. So then the trick was, what happens if you actually end up sleeping on top of this hill, which as you can see, there's a beautiful ocean view there. It's a gorgeous location. It's a sand dune of some kind next to either a lake or an ocean. So that's what is going on here. He fell asleep on top of this giant hive and he began feeling very strange sensations. I'm gonna quote this in a minute. And this included dizziness, headaches, heat, tingling, and nausea. And then sensations like this disappeared as soon as he walked off of the area above the hive. And then he took these samples of the beehives back to his lab and studied them. And that's when it gets really cool and interesting. Now, the exact species of bee was later identified. This is a quote from the paper. The only specific insect I've seen mentioned thus far of possible interest was the one identified in the portion of the flight chapter you saw. The bee is called Halictus quadricictus. It seems that this particular subspecies of bee is native to Siberia, although most of the other references sound fairly generic. So here is a set of pictures of bees that they give in the article right after that. Now down in the bottom left, what you're seeing is an example of this type of beehive that they make. And then just to get even more specific, up there on the left is Halictus quadricinctus, this particular bee that had such magical effects native to Siberia that he noticed. So this is one of the key examples of one of their hives that he picked up. And what he discovers is that the actual shape of this hive creates an energetic field, just like the idea of pyramids that we talked about before. You don't need any moving parts. The simple shape itself 
somehow having to do with the idea, as I've been saying in previous episodes, that atoms are actually gravity powered. This was the function of several different things I've looked at. Dr. Oliver Crane wrote an amazing paper called Central Oscillator and the Space-Time Quantum Medium, and it makes this case very nicely. Nassim Harriman won a Belgian physics prize for showing how the physics around the nucleus are the same as the physics around a black hole, and a black hole is a gravity vortex, thus suggesting atoms are gravitational. So that means gravity is not just this weird, elusive force. Gravity is the energy that flows into matter to make matter. And the other big part we've been going through over and over again is that gravity is a movement in a wave medium. What does that mean? A wave medium could be something like water. A wave that moves through water has to move through actual water. So the water would be the medium. So in this case, the idea is that gravity is similar to water. It might be kind of outside of our own reality, but within its reality, within its dimension, whatever you want to call it, it does behave like water, and we can measure the effects of it behaving like water. So if something like this beehive or like a pyramid has the atoms, has the gravity flowing into it, and then the gravity is behaving like water, you can actually get a whirlpool type of effect. So you could take a glass jar and put water inside of it, and maybe add some sugar so it's thicker, and then shake it back and forth, and then you'll see so this tornado that's inside the water. And it just spins and spins and spins. So what I'm saying is that inside this beehive, the same exact thing could be happening. You can't see the medium. You can't see the gravitational right, right, liquid, so right. to speak. But the simple shape wow. itself causes this spiraling vortex to occur. And, and when the spiraling occurs, the you get energetic just... after effects that are very profound. So let's see what those energetic effects did to Grubenikov when he fell asleep on top of this hive. And we're going to quote from him directly because it's better that you hear it from him than having me paraphrase. I find it really cool to That's do it this way. So here's the link where you can go see this. Been up there since 2001. So now this is all Grubenikov talking in his own words. He's now on top of the hive. It's nighttime. He's got this beautiful ocean view. He says, sleep comes fast. I become very small, like I'm the size of an ant. And then I feel myself becoming enormous, like the sky, as I am about to fall asleep. Now, that might not be normal for most people to feel that way, but he is saying that he's having these very strange sensations as he's trying to fall asleep, as if his body was becoming smaller and larger. And he's just trying to go to sleep, but there's this very, very bizarre sensation. But why is it that today these pre-sleep transformations of my bodily dimensions are somewhat unusual, too strong? So apparently he had this a lot, but this is much more than usual. A new sensation has now mixed in. It is a sensation of falling, as though the high cliff has been snatched away from under my body, and I feel myself falling into an unknown, terrible abyss. So this, of course, is like a gravitational effect. Later on, we're going to see how he uses these same types of principles to generate anti-gravity. There's a cavity structural effect. There's this honeycombing inside the wings of certain insects that he was able to use for this. But right now, he's just sleeping over this massive hive, and he has this crazy feeling that he's falling, and then he starts seeing flashes of light. I open my eyes, but the flashes of light don't go away. They are dancing on the pearl and silver evening sky and on the grass. So this is interesting. There may actually have been some sort of earth lights phenomenon going on here. 
not just a hallucination that he was having, but these actual little orbs. And again, when you get the gravitational field spinning enough, you get that tornado type of effect, you will get these little uh, ball lightnings. And we've talked about them. The Russian scientist, uh, Dr. Lesky Dmitriev, called them vacuum domains. They do tend to be spherical. They do tend to be swirling inside. And the most interesting thing about them is that they start converting gravitational energy into electromagnetic energy, which shows up as visible light. So it's literally an area where you have gravity transforming into visible light. So apparently these beehives alone were able to create that. Well, and we're going to get a lot more into this later on. Those little guys do actually create gravitational effects. And there's a whole bunch of episodes we could do just on that aspect of all the different ways that they do weird things. We kind of went into it when we were talking about the changes in the solar system, but now we're going to be doing a lot more in later episodes. So let's keep reading now. I get a strong metallic taste in my mouth, as though I had pressed my tongue to the contact plates of a small electric battery. Now this again does show that there is an electrical effect. In other words, as these balls are appearing, as all these unusual orbs of energy are showing up from the effect of the beehives at night. Remember, what did we just say in the last episode with Wagner? The anti-gravity effect in the trees gets a lot stronger when the sun goes down. When the sun goes down, all this unusual energy can show up much more, including levitation. And part of that levitation is caused by these little orbs. So when we're looking at the angular relationships of these tree branches that Wagner was talking about, that could actually be a field that, if it was strong enough, would become a visible sphere of light. And then within that sphere, if you really study it and you can slow it down, you're going to see the geometry, the sacred geometry that I've been talking about. But as it spins, it's usually not going to be visible. You're just going to see this ball of weird glowing energy. So those balls do create gravitational anomalies, and that's what's happening, and they also create a lot of static charge. So when people are experiencing anti-gravity and when people are experiencing time portals, this is another thing, if these balls get strong enough, if they're highly charged enough, this is the magic secret to get portal travel working. This is the magic secret that links anti-gravity travel and time travel together where you really can't do one without the other. And as that kind of charge is occurring in the air around you, it's going to be very electrical and you will have this staticky feeling in your mouth, just like he said. My ears start ringing. I start hearing the double beats of my own heart pounding in my ears. How could I sleep when all these things are going on? I climb the step, same old story. So now I've cut ahead a little bit and he left the area, okay, in between. Then he goes back. And he wants to see, is it the location? Is it where I was staying? Not that he's getting sick or that he needs to go to the emergency room, but is this some kind of weird scientific effect? Mm -hmm. So he leaves and then he comes back up and the same thing starts to happen. Mm. My head is spinning. I again get a galvanic, sour, electrical taste in my mouth. And I feel as though my weight is rising and falling. And again, this is the key to levitation as we're going to see. I am at one moment feeling incredibly light, and then at the next moment, I am unbearably heavy. If you can figure out, and again, figure out, it's more of like a spiritual knowingness, how to attract these orbs of light to yourself, then that is the secret to levitation. 
How do we create these? And are there ways to tune into it with the geometric proportions that underlie that? That's no idea. the really big secret about levitation. How do we actually make this happen? I see flashes in my eyes. Again, that's the lighting effect. If this indeed was a bad spot, some kind of nasty anomaly, then there shouldn't be any grass able to grow, and large bees would not be nesting inside this loamy cliff. Why, why do these bees feel so good here that the entire step is dappled with their holes like a piece of Swiss cheese, and in some places there are so many holes that it almost looks like a sponge? So there again is his art of where this was, and he's starting to figure it out. He's starting to say there's got to be something having to do with the beehives themselves that's causing this weird anti-gravity effect, that's causing visible lights, lights when I close my eyes, this electrical taste in my mouth, this sense of foreboding, your body feels like it's rising and lowering in weight, all these weird things. The solution came many years later, so he worked on this for many years before he got the answer. When the bee city in Kamishlovo Valley died, the tillage came to the very edge, which consequently fell off. So literally what happened here is, like for example, if you ever go to an oceanfront area, Did a lot of times the they'll tell you city? don't walk on the sand dunes. I, because the I sand don't... dunes have grass growing at the top, but it's very fragile. Simply having you walk on them can actually destroy those grasses and then the whole sand dune can collapse people walking on them is very bad so typically you'll see signs saying don't walk on here so apparently maybe from people walking on it who knows exactly why but the sand dunes eroded and there was not enough coverage to keep those bees warm and safe inside so they all had to abandon those hives and leave behind all of this adobe type of clay material that they had built to live in before they lost the use of that sand dune. Well, this is great for him because now he can go in and get samples. Now, instead of grass and bee holes, there is nothing there but an atrocious heap of mud. I only had a handful of old clay lumps, fragments of those nests with multiple chamber cells. So he was able to grab this stuff. He was able to find some of these. On my desk, back at the lab, packed with equipment, I have little houses of ants and grasshoppers, bottles filled with chemicals and other stuff. I had a wide receptacle filled with these spongy lumps of clay. That's amazing. I was about to pick something up, and I moved my hand over these lumps of clay from the beehive. Oh, wait for it, because this is where it gets interesting. He gets a charge. A miracle happened. I suddenly felt warmth emanating from these beehives. I touched the lumps with my hand and they were cold, but when I put my hand above them, there was a very clear thermal sensation. So here is his illustration of what the beehive looks like. So notice it's lumpy on the outside. Look at the top graphic first. You'll see there's a diagonal line in the middle. Below the diagonal line is what it looks like on the outside, just a bunch of lumps. When you cut it open on the inside, you see multiple of these little cavities where the bee larva will be, and they're giving them everything they need there. And then there's all these holes in the middle in the tube that they go through. So then at the bottom, what you're seeing here is that he had a bowl of multiple beehives like this. And as he put his hand over the bowl, lo and behold, he's getting this very strange, ticklish, energetic feeling Hmm. coming off of the beehives. If you're thinking what I'm thinking, then you're on the right track. And that is, does this explain how 
those bees back in Isukul were trying to ram their way through a two foot thick brick wall? Absolutely yes. This feeling is something that we all can sense and that's what his research that got so prominent ultimately concluded. The bees are energetically being beaconed back to where they come from and it was only when he lived on top of something for one night that was really really densely packed with all this that he got such an exaggerated version of the effect right, right. that it really really changed history hmm. because what he was ultimately able to do with this is very profound now let's keep reading besides in my fingers i felt some hitherto unknown jerks some sort of tick as it were the same thing the bees would sense to get back and when I pushed the bowl with the nests to the end of the desk and leaned over the bowl, I felt the same sensation that I did when I was near the lake. My head started getting lighter and bigger. I felt like my body was falling down. I had this sense of rapid He's flashes of light in my eyes, bee. and my mouth tasted like an electric battery. He's so all he had to do now bee. is actually hold his head over the bowl He's filled with these beehives. That's all it took to get these really, really interesting effects. Oh, and I do again find this very fascinating. He's a bee. I put a sheet of cardboard on top of the bowl, but the sensation did not change. The cardboard did not shield the effect. A pot lid of metal changed nothing either. It was as if whatever this energy field was, this something cut right through the pot lid. I had to study this phenomenon at once. He's obviously fascinated. But what could I do at home without the necessary scientific instruments. I got assistance from many research scientists of various institutes at the Agricultural Academy in Novosibirsk, which is a major city in Siberia, one of the only major cities in Siberia. And a lot of these scientists from Russia that you hear about, Russian Academy of Sciences and so forth, Novosibirsk is actually a common area Really they end up good. working out of so They're this really is nothing unusual scientists it's actually a very common place that you end up hearing about so now he's going to go get the tools but alas the instruments whether they were thermometers ultrasound detectors magnetic field detectors or electrical field detectors nothing responded to this energy it is not electromagnetic it's not based on temperature and it's not based on sound so all the typical things that you try to explain this away with <clears throat> doesn't work. We conducted a precise chemical analysis of the clay and there was no special chemicals in it. The radiometer, which would indicate radioactivity, was also silent, so it's not radioactive. But ordinary human hands, and not just mine, would distinctly feel either warmth or a cold draft and a sense of tingling. Other people sometimes would feel a thicker, stickier environment there's literally a sense of a physical touch similar phenomena could be observed when you have a bunch of paper tubes that were inhabited by leaf cutting bees now this is important because what you have here is a certain type of bee that actually invades the inside of a tree so now we're right back to wagner again remember the tree is going to have tubes inside and so what these leaf cutting bees will do is they will attack a tree, they will chop off pieces of the leaves from the tree, then they go inside the trunk, and they start to build these little cavity cells in the trunk. 
so they seal it off with leaves. They actually make a paste again, this time yeah, not with dirt so like the other leaves, but with this leaf paste. Yeah, yeah. And they make these little individual compartments inside. So one of the things that scientists like Rabenikoff will do, entomologists, is that they will take a paper series of straws, or, or it could be other material besides paper as well, but they'll take a series of straws in a stack and emulate a tree trunk and then get those bees to actually build their little nests inside with the leaf so paste and all the individual cells. Them. So now we're right back to exactly what Wagner was studying and amazingly the same thing happens. So leaf cutting bees in paper tubes, the same phenomena. Yeah. Each tunnel had a solid row of multi-layered cans, think about like a can, yeah. of torn leaves that are covered with concave lids also made out of leaves. So these bees are clever enough to create little hinges where the cans, as he's calling them, meaning these compartments inside the straw, and there's a bunch of bundles of straw together, they can flip the lid, they can go inside, help the larva, pop the lid back down, keep the larva nice and safe and happy in there. Inside the cans, there were silk oval cocoons with larvae and chrysalides. These are just the developmental stages. Mm -hmm. So here is an example that he drew himself of this type of straw bundle that has leaf cutting bees inside. And notice again, he's illustrating that you can feel these energetic waves coming off of the bundle. I asked people who knew nothing of my discovery to hold their hands or faces over these leaf cutter nests like you just saw, and I took a detailed record of the experiment. The results may be found in my article on the physical and biological properties of pollinator bee nests published in the Siberian Bulletin of Agricultural Science, number three, 1984. So this is really, really fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. Something about the bees is creating an energetic field that appears to be related to gravity, because remember, he has all these strange effects where he feels like his weight is lowering and increasing. And again, there's you plenty of other research vibrate, like tornado physics. Tornado levitation has nothing to do with the vacuum. For example, if somebody with a whole chest full of coins that. and it gets transferred many, many miles, okay. even though it's not latched and the coins don't fly out, or an entire house levitates up into the air and everything stays intact and it gets dropped somewhere else. So, so the vacuum theory of why tornadoes levitate things actually doesn't work. So what we're seeing instead here is that the underlying secrets to levitation are the same secrets of this biological field. It doesn't have radioactivity. It doesn't have a strange temperature. It doesn't have an electromagnetic field. It doesn't have anything we can normally measure with traditional instruments. And yet, undeniably, people feel this warmth. They feel this tingling. They feel this kind of stickiness. And what we're going to see as we go on in the next episode is how he was actually able to use this to build healing technologies that are so dirt cheap, you could absolutely do this at home and you may already have it, you just didn't realize what it was for. And we're also going to be talking about the amazing ability to make a detector that will be That's able so to move in the presence of these fields if you know what you're doing. And I have studied this on my own. My I built these detectors, that requires no money. Like just that. a glass he jar and a couple other things some. but it really works but. so you'll be able to try this at home and definitely send us in some letters and let us know what you find because I sh i'm sure you're going to be interested and want to follow up on this 
Well, that's all the time we have in this episode of Wisdom Teachings. I'm your host, that. David Wilcock, bringing you the information you need that will set you free. Thanks again for watching. Very interesting. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, I've never really... Um, when I was in forensic science, we had to do entomology, but it was not this kind. It was more taking a look at a dead body and taking a look at the larva that was eating the body and see how many generations of larva there were um, by um, seeing how old some of the flies were. Just really gross kind of entomology stuff. Not, you know, interesting thing like this. But, um, he says these are wisdom teachings, and I've never heard of these before, so I'm going to subscribe to this. This he, I found this on a totally different uh, site than I normally would find his stuff. Let me just see what else they have here on this site. Okay, a lot of uh, pub publicity type things. Okay, so he just started this two months ago. This wisdom teaching site. The gene expression of life. Hmm. I'm going to have to take a look at that. That sounds really interesting. Um, so anyway, um, I think that what he was trying to say was that they hone in on the queen bee by the vibration of the vortex that they make. I'm not entirely sure, but I think that's what he was trying to say. So I hope you enjoyed that. That was totally different than anything I've done and yet it's very much up my alley. So thank you for watching. Bye-bye. So...